Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. This new study. Heavenly and gracious Father, we come to you as fellow people who, who limp, and limp hopefully with you and not alone. Before we came to know you, O oh Lord, we limped alone in our sins. We were worn down by them, burdened by them, and condemned by them. But because we've come to know you, Lord, through Christ Jesus, your Son, our Savior, we're able to limp along with you. And we find out throughout this journey that really it's not us even limping, but you carrying us, Lord. And so we ask that we rest in your arms, that we're carried by you as we dive into your scripture. Help us to learn through the life of Jacob, a fellow sinner, what does life look like when it's messy? What does life look like having faith? in you lord help us to take our burdens take our worries our cares and take the sins that have burdened us and lay it down at the feet of the cross in christ's name we pray amen Amen. so chapter one was dear god any day now and i'm kind of curious you know any kind of opening reflections or thoughts from doing the first two chapters of reading anything that kind of struck out you know, it's you of like, this is interesting, you know, or something that might have resonated with you on starting out with the life of, of Jacob. Well, I'm one of these persons who, um, if I've waited five minutes for either God or Bob to do something, I think <laughs> I've waited long enough. And this 20 years and so on uh, is a little over the top. <laughs> Especially if you're going to be a 90-year-old woman with a new baby. <laughs> This is true. You know, that, I that, mean, you guys consider that that's pretty, that's pretty big. <laughs> it's really incredible, you know, especially if you think about the fact that the age of, you know, where people are at in this story, in this life, and seeing, you know, that the call happens when Abraham is 75 years old. And this promise, like you said, you know, he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, I mean, I cannot fathom it, you know, like being told at that age, like, you're going to have a son. Like, really? You know, like, that's that's incredible. But My Abraham has... He's a little low for, <laughs> for stuff like really? that at that time. And yet yeah, he has faith. You know, like he trusts in this. But then you think about Sarah is like, well, that's easy enough for you, but I've got to carry this child. Nine and, months and long. And I'm not a you know young spring chicken either. And so to think of that, you know, for 20 years, to, to be in your 90s, but to carry that promise child of the covenant, it's really incredible. Um, and to raise them. Yeah. Then she's really old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then her husband is going to take him off and kill him. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, no big deal. <laughs> Betty didn't tell him. And so... We see this fascinating, you know, beginning, you know, Genesis, beginnings of the people of Israel. You know, what we've seen so far in Genesis is the creation account of God creating everything, of it being created good, of the fall, of how mankind continues falling into depravity so much that the flood is made necessary in order to wipe off uh, the evil of the human race. But then we learn as soon as Noah exits the boat, that evil is still there. That sin still remains in our heart. It hasn't been eradicated, even when God executes justice. And so God, you know, sees people, you know, developing, you know, nations rising, 
and he calls a man out of no particular you know merit of this man's life or whether or not he's good, bad, or ugly, but just calls this man Abraham, who trusts in God and believes in him and walks by faith and going into a new land and going into this new promise, which kind of leads us to our, our first question there, which is on page uh, six of the book, excuse me, page seven. I'll get a reader for Genesis 12, one through four, and then a reader for Hebrews 11, eight through 12. So if someone wants to take Genesis and someone takes Hebrews, I'll tell you again which chapter that is. Okay, what did you need? <clears throat> Genesis and Hebrews. Let me know which book and I'll tell you the verse. Genesis and Hebrews. No, my phone's Hebrews what? what Hebrews is 11, verses 8 through 12. All right. And Bart, are you getting Genesis? Yeah, I'll get Genesis. Okay, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Yeah, that's a good one. So when you get there, uh, Bart, read yours first. Okay. And then, Bill, I'll have you read Hebrews. One day, the Eternal One called out to Abram, Eternal One, Abram, get up and go. Leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's home, and travel to the land that I will show you. Don't worry, I will guide you there. That's in parentheses, <clears throat> or italics. I have plans to make you a great people from your descendants, and I am going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and an example to others. I will also bless those who bless you further in your <clears throat> journey. I'll trip up those who try to trip you up along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families of the earth will find blessing in you. Without any hesitation, Abram went. He did exactly as the Eternal One asked him to do. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his, with him his wife, Sarai, his brother, son, Lot, and all the possessions and all of the persons they had acquired for their household while in Haran. And they all set off toward the land of Canaan. Thank you. When they reached Canaan. That's, right. that's, that's good right there. Yeah. That's good. Okay. First reading is. Hebrews 8 through 11. Mm-hmm. 8 through 12. 12, okay. Mm -hmm. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called uh, to go out to a place that he had never, uh, that he was uh, to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went uh, to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has uh, has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, uh, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens as many as the innumerable brands of sand on the seashore. And so their question is, what was God calling Abram and Sarai to give up or leave behind? So what is God calling Abram or Sarai to give up? And, and Family, leave friends, mm -hmm. safety, security, 
Mm-hmm, certainly. And so when we, we look to, you know, this calling to the Lord, it's giving up everything to follow him, to follow the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's saying to, you know, your friends, your family, your relatives, the land, the, the home that you have, that I have had the word of the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, come to me. And he's told me to leave everything, to forsake everything. And to go into this land that we don't own, that's a, a foreign land, but there's a promise that I will be made a great nation. And so you can only imagine that his family and his friends, you know, probably thought them absolutely crazy, you know, for doing this. And yet even Sarai, you know, doesn't object, you know, like Sarai willingly goes with Abram. They both have a faith of walking into this promise of what God is going to give them. And they don't really have the faith tradition. Mm-hmm. They don't have a faith tradition to look back on and say, well, my forefather did that and God came through. They didn't have that. I mean, so they were they were like, this is all kind of new to them. Mm-hmm. Walking into the unknown, mm-hmm. but with the faith of God, was able to do it. That's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is an example of God. Sometimes God has to even give us faith, mm-hmm. you know, because... We just don't have it. And I just don't see, they're like, who's this God you're talking about? Mm-hmm. And their friends or neighbors are like, and he's probably like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating because where they're at, they're in. Uh, which God are you talking to? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. they're yeah, in Mesopotamia. Really. Coming they're... out of a poly, polytheistic culture. Exactly. Yeah. Many gods, you know, and then the Lord God Almighty, you know, as your translation was, was saying, the, the eternal one, you know, the, the I am, you know, uh, reveals himself to Abram. And so Sarah. the answer to the question really is found in Hebrews 11, chapter uh, mm-hmm. 1. Yes, pull that out for us. Uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old receive their uh, condemnation. By faith we understand that the universe was created uh, by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we see with Abram and Sarai is that they have this hope that what the Lord is saying will happen. And so they walk by faith you know, and trust in the Lord that these things will occur. But then we're approaching that 20 years of like, how long, how long, oh Lord, you know, will the birth of that promised son Isaac actually occur? And so the next question that we have here is like, is faith just a leap in the dark or something else? You did a great job of going to scripture, of defining it. What we see is it's not a, a leap in the dark. There's a trust. It's not a blind faith. There's a hope. Just as we interact with each other, if someone says they're going to do something for you, you don't know if they're actually going to do it for you. But you have trust. That they will. That they will, you know. If someone is going to help you out, you know, like, my lawnmower is broken, you know, like, can you mow my lawn? Yes, I'll come. I'll come by on Saturday at noon. You trust them because they're your friend, you know. If a perfect stranger comes to you, lot less likely that you're just going to trust them it's a lot harder to have that hope of what you don't see but what's amazing is that abram and sarah living in this polytheistic culture in the civilization of this time period in mesopotamia they trust 
and have this hope that's given to them from God, you know, to put their faith in God and to walk with him and literally walk from Ur, from Mesopotamia, down into Canaan, into what will become the promised land, but is not yet the promised land. So we'll jump now to Genesis 16. I'm going to read this one for us. And the question as we go through Genesis 16 is, why did Abram and Sarai come up with a plan concerning Hagar? And what does it tell us about their faith? And then we'll talk about how does the story exemplify God's promise to cause everything to work together for his good, citing Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 28. So, chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as wife. And he went to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over it all against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, You are our God who is seeing. For she said, Truly I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Berlehe-roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Question. Yes. Is Hagar the beginning of the Muslim religion? To a certain extent. You have the Edomites who come from uh, Ishmael. And over time, those who dwell in that area will eventually, they're polytheistic for the longest time. And so as you continue reading scripture, the Edomites are a constant, you know, battle, you know, a constant, uh, really, you know, opposition towards the people of God. And then historically, after the scriptures, after Christ has returned and ascended into heaven, then Islam arises around 600 AD, as I recall, maybe in the late 500s, so don't quote me on it. But at that time period, you know, after Christ's ascension, that's when Islam, you know, comes about. And then these same peoples who we just generically call, you know, uh, the Muslim. Arabic yeah. you know, people become, you know, Islamic over time. And then Islam spreads. Okay, question. Mm -hmm. If they believe, I used to, my belief is that their God is not the true, true God, but that's sure. not so. Their God, if they, God started this with her, 
then she that Islam believes in the same God we do. Is that, that correct? That would be incorrect because <clears throat> what Islam does is that we all have the same creator. All people do. And certainly, you know, Ishmael and Hagar, you know, Hagar saw the one true God, the angel of the Lord. But then, you know, historically over the centuries, you have Muhammad have, you know, what he claims is a vision from God. But this false God who reveals himself denies Christ, denies that Jesus is anything more than a ah. man, denies his death and resurrection upon the cross, and comes out and says that God is no trinity. God is so singular that there is no personhood. There's no God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it's very much an anti-Christian and very much a perversion of Christianity. And what's interesting is the early church fathers during the 600s, when they list out the heresies of the church, they put out Islam. It's like, this is a heresy from Christianity because it's, it's taking demon. Christian truth and then perverting it. So, ah, I it's see. A demon, it's a demon god. I think of Dagon, the god that, that uh, couldn't handle the... The Ark of the Covenant. Of the covenant. It's a yeah. demon. It's, mm -hmm. They actually pray to a demon because God, our God, the God we know, the Father of Christ, is not going to tell you to go blow people up. It's, yeah. It doesn't work that way. Now and you know, I was, this is kind of off the subject, mm -hmm. but if you look historically, I was watching a movie, it was actually about World War II, but it was in the set in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Historically, Christian nations are much more prosperous and in blessed in real ways. Western Europe developed in and America developed far beyond what's happened in the Middle East. They're still living in tents over there. And so that demon God is not, he, they live in poverty and they live in a society where a few people have all the money and, and God has blessed the quote unquote Christianized part of the world far beyond what he's blessed. Because and that's he can't bless them. They, they are worshiping a demon, so how can he bless them? Yeah, I would be careful though on material oh, no, prosperity. Yeah, because historically the Islamic culture surpassed Western Christianity, and the Renaissance was actually benefiting from part of the Crusades of learning Eastern mathematics and Eastern philosophy, and then bringing it over to the West. And then the Islamic states started to surpass after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, you know, in the 1400s. So it's ebb and flowed in terms of our prosperity. You know, but you certainly see that in terms of providence, you see how the Lord has protected, you know, what used to be Christendom, which is now gone. Yeah. You had the Islamic invasions because Islam spread by the sword, whereas the word of God, you know, is spread by 12 simpletons, you know, who all of a sudden have this great harvest at Pentecost, not of their own doing, but by act of the Holy Spirit and continually by the Holy Spirit, you know, by the sword of Scripture, you know, is how Christianity has advanced. And even when you say, when you see the poor examples of crusades, you know, trying to force conversions, it does not last because that's not how God changes hearts of men. And even that is a very limited representative of Christian history. But instead, where the word spreads, the Holy Spirit he does his work upon human hearts versus Islam spread by the sword. And you see providence where Charles the, um, Charles Martel, as I recall, uh, Charles the Hammer was his nickname, uh, prevented Islam from advancing um, from Spain into Western Europe, from conquering Western Europe, and very much a uh, providential stand and stop uh, that would have changed history. You know, we may or may not be, um, you know, 
followers of Christ because it would have completely altered world history at that point. But to get back to what we're talking about here with, with Abram, Sarai, and with Isaac, which to me specifically with uh, Hagar right now, you know, we see this plan, you know, and, and why do you think Abram and Sarai come up with this plan to create a hair, you know, through Hagar? It was actually pretty common in that culture. Mm-hmm. But why do you think they did it? They've got a promise, you know, not like everyone else does. Faith kind of ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I think Sarah lost her faith that he would mm-hmm. provide her with a child. I think it tells us that, you know. And it wasn't going to be a girl child because girl childs, we all know, were, didn't matter that much. Uh, but it was a man child. I think what we see is that very much, you know, how even when we do what is evil in the Lord's sight, breaking his commandments, God can use it to his glory. Because he still blesses Hagar and her child. The Lord comes to her, you know, and tells her, like, go go back. Go back to Sarai and serve her. I'm watching over you. I'm watching over the child, Ishmael. As a matter of fact, he'll grow into be a great nation. There'll be multitudes coming from him. It's interesting because this should make us think about the garden of Sarai, you know, saying, like, I haven't had an heir, you know, so therefore God's prevented me. <coughs> We've had this promise. We're going to make it happen, you know. Very much like I see the fruits, and I want to take it for myself. Well, God's given us a promise. I'll take it, and I'll make it happen. And then what happens? Abram, like Adam, says, let's do it, you know affirms it, goes through with the plan. So we see a bit of a reflection of the fall accounts, you know, coming to bear here. And then as a consequence, you know, the sin has consequences. What happens is descendants of the Ishmaelites will continually be a thorn in Israel's side. So to this day. To this day, you know. But thanks be to God, we also see that God uses even the falsities and the perversions of Satan to his glory. Even in Islam, Today, we have Islamic peoples who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus, who they believe existed, they don't believe that he is you know, fully God, fully man. They believe he's Jewish Messiah. They'll call him Christ, but they deny he takes away any sins. They believe that Jesus is a prophet, but not as great as Muhammad. And yet, there are Muslims right now who are having dreams of Christ coming to them and speaking to them and revealing himself as their Savior. And these Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and going, leaving Islam and becoming Christians. So God, you How know... How come you never hear about those people? Oh, there's a lot of if you're, stories if you're about right that. Yeah, yeah a lot of the Christian missionary societies that are doing outreach, we've actually, we're helping out the jurisdiction, a couple of them, you know, who are... Because once you convert, you know, you're a dead man or woman, like... Yeah. And, and, of course... You may think, like, well, how does that happen? Like, in Islamic states in the Middle East, like, you're a dead man or woman. And even if it's on the book as being illegal, families will, will hire hitmen to kill you. And so it's a very dangerous situation for what we call Muslim background believers because they can't change, like, on their identity card, driver's license, that they're no longer a Muslim. It says on there that you're, you're religion, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, etc. And they can't change it because they refuse to acknowledge that there's any conversions and if they, even if they did change it, once it's public that you're a Christian, they'll try to hunt you down and kill you. Maybe not the government authorities, but the government will look the other way 
as private hitman. We'll try to take these people out. So we've been active in, in helping and rescuing people to come over to Western nations where you can be free to choose to, to worship and uh, to live in faith. But there's many underground communities of former Muslims who are worshiping in private, in secret, to the secret church. I think of the, the Chinese church, the Muslim church, and the African church as maybe the crucibles of the next great revival because you don't play around over there with, with your faith. Yeah, you, you see that through persecution, like to, I think it's Tertullian who said that the, the, um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we're seeing that. That's where the church is growing very much so. Now, in this chapter, we had two New Testament um, lessons that were brought up. We talked about the stilling of the storm and also talked about the raising of Lazarus from uh, John 11. And so, if you think about Lazarus, if you remember this, the account of Christ going to raise him from the dead, it talks about how Christ is notified that this is you know, happening, that, that Lazarus is ill. It talks about how a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Of course, Martha and Mary, very prominent in Christ's ministry, and Lazarus being their brother. And it even reminds us in the Gospel of John, it's Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And yet, interestingly enough, what happens, the Lord stays two days where he's at. Enough time for Lazarus to die, even though he says it does, this is an illness that doesn't lead to death. And then he goes and visits. And, of course, his sister says to him, you know, like, Lord, if you'd been here, you know, like, you could have done something. And the Lord has this to say to her. He goes to the tomb. Martha heard Jesus come and went and met him. Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's faith right there. That's faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Her faith in that last day, the great judgment. But then the Lord surprised her. Jesus says to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The Lord God turning this question of faith to her. And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come to the village, but had come to the place in which he was buried. And they followed Mary, as she rose and quickly went out. And those followed after her, supposing she's going to the tomb to weep there. Mary came to Jesus and saw him, the other sister now, and she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, repeating what Martha had said. Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews had also come with her weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This account of God through Christ Jesus, God incarnate, resting and waiting several days, it really tells us how God views time, how God handles time differently from us. Because we want to cry out, How long, how long, O Lord? And God waits. Christ waits. And even in the exact right time. Exactly, to the right time, you know, that glorifies him. He waits in the stilling of the storm, taking this epic nap of just sleeping while the disciples come to him and wake him up. Do you not care that we are about to perish? The Lord rises from his slumber. He's on a boat being tossed around at storm, you know. It wouldn't be the most comfortable time to sleep, yet our Lord sleeps in the storm, stands up, rebukes the winds, and they calm, and the seas are calm. The storm ends. And then the disciples say, like, who is this? Even the waves and the winds obey and hear his voice, which should echo through the Old Testament. Job, when God reveals himself, and talks about that he's the one who causes the storms, causes the wind, makes them cease. And so it really kind of shows that in our life, I think we've all had times where we've prayed for something. The wait has gone on and on. You know, probably the waiting is still going on for many of our prayer requests that we have, that we petition to the Lord. But what does that tell us about our Lord, about our God? I think it tells us that he's a God of his own timing. He's a God seeking to bring the glory to his name that works on his time scale, not on ours. God is working changes us mm-hmm. he's not changing exactly but sometimes it takes time for us to to be in the place that we need to be mm-hmm. and time is irrelevant to him but it is a tool that he uses in our existence mm-hmm. as, as human beings as, as you know as in and as we're in a created system mm-hmm. and uh, just sometimes he's got to get us right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? We hear this, like, especially for men's fellowship, read the Psalms, of how the psalmist is constantly, rise up, O Lord, rise up, O Lord, you know, like, give us justice, you know, reach out. And that's our prayer a lot, you know, of crying out for justice against injustice in our life, crying out for a change that we like to see, crying out for something that we want the Lord to do, to move upon. But God works on his time scale and in his plan. And so it goes back to that Lord's Prayer of thy will be done. And once you know that his end game is the salvation of his people. Not to forsake them, not to neglect them, 
But even when it feels that way, of knowing his purpose is to bring about the salvation of his people, his redemption of his people. And yes. A little, uh, maybe just a little tweak mm-hmm. on what you said. And that is, our God is a God outside of time and mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Time means something to us. You know, the God, he doesn't, he's not, he's a, he's a forever God. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, above 90 time. A 90-year-old or a 100-year-old mm-hmm. or a 1,000-year-old or a 5,000-year-old. Indeed. And we see this, you know, especially the stories of waiting for a child to be born throughout Scripture. We see it not just through uh, Sarah, but we also see it uh, through Rebecca. We see it through uh, Hannah. And, uh, and actually, let's turn to 1 Samuel 1 and just see that. Because we see with Hannah this great example of faithfulness. And what does it mean to have faith? Because in it, we have the birth of Samuel where, verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, This man used to go up year by year from a city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli... Hophani and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day in which Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah, his wife, and all her, excuse me, all her sons and daughters. To Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the table beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. She continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being a drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. And I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. The woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not rise up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait only until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son, and she weaned him. And she had weaned him, and she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. 
for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. We see such great faith in Hannah, wanting a son so badly just to have a son of her own, and being willing to give him up to the Lord. Same thing with Abram. Great example. Yes. He Abram gave him, with Isaac. He, he was he took on faith. He mm-hmm. took Isaac up the mountain. Mm-hmm. And then at the last minute the the Angel Lord, Lord told, yeah. told him, "Don't worry. Mm-hmm. It, I, I I got the the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do mm-hmm. Isaac." So we see these great examples of faith throughout people's lives. I mean, but just total faith. Mm-hmm. Just walk. Absolutely. I don't know if I'd be that good. <laughs> and so we see it continually throughout scriptures. And we see it even with Elizabeth over in Luke uh, chapter 1. We're quickly approaching Advent and getting to this point in the Sunday lectionary of hearing of, you know, the coming of the Messiah. And it starts with that last Old Testament prophet that you find in the New Testament of John the Baptist. And so with Elizabeth, if I can get to Luke, here we go. We hear that John the Baptist is foretold. And so we'll pick up here in chapter or excuse me, chapter 1 of Luke in verse 5. Days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Once again, advanced in years. You know, the same story repeating itself. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. But we know that even this choosing by lot is all providential. God orchestrating and working this to glorify his plan and bring it to accomplishment in verse 10. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then Zechariah <clears throat> and I can very much sympathize with said to the angel, How shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. But you said his name is Zachariah. I Zachariah. thought it was Abram. Well, I've gone to the New Testament about the story of John the Baptist being born. Oh, okay. And how but why is the name Zachariah, not Abraham? Because we're talking about Zechariah is different. different. This is in Luke where we're kind of advanced from like Abraham being at the start of the covenant to like now New Testament times. Okay. Yeah. All right, so this is right before Jesus is born. So Zechariah says to the angel, How shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Gospel. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
Once again, that emphasis of in God's timing. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And of course, Zechariah speaks again when he confirms that the name of the child shall be John. But we see this, you know, repetition of waiting and praying, waiting and praying. And unlike the culture that we live in, where if you want it, you can get it. Even if you don't have the money, necessarily. If you have access to the computer, I want knowledge. I can Google it. <laughs> I can get it. Not so with the ways of the Lord and his timing. And what strikes me is, I mean, sort of the repetition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Both were old age, mm-hmm. past the time. I think that was that's an important thing in terms of God's announcements. Mm-hmm. This came from me. Exactly. It's not by you man's know, will. Uh, because people would have, you know, uh, if they'd been born in a normal yeah. time frame, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. M- may not have been nearly as effective mm-hmm. as, hey. Exactly. This, this timing came from God. Yeah. It couldn't have happened any other way. In other words, all doubt is erased because they were both advanced in age. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, there was only one way this was going to happen, and that was through God because normal... Biologically, it's it's It was impossibility. Impossible because they were far beyond the Mm -hmm. age of... You know, being able to bear a child. So what we see is what's impossible for man is possible for Through God. God. And that's what we exactly. hear the apostles saying to the authorities in the New Testament in Acts when they're told, you know, you need to, to quiet down. You need to hold back on this new Messiah movement that you've come up with. And they're like, it's not something we've come up with. It's of God, not of man. And so when we flip to Genesis 25 and we now have the son of Isaac, where we get to Jacob, whom this book is about, what we see is something fascinating in chapter 25, verses 21 through 23. What we see is, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children, so now we know she has twins, the children struggled together within her. And as the chapter, you know, really did well laying out this Hebrew terminology, it's like they are at war. And she's like, what is going on? You know, (laughs) you can imagine. I mean, there's no way to see what's happening, you know. Exactly. She could be greatly concerned, like, I don't know if something has gone wrong, you know. And they're so struggling within the womb. And she says, if it is this, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She's so worried, she's praying to God. And the Lord speaks to her and tells her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. And so we see this God of opposites working here. Again, something that's not uh, a rule of man, but a rule of God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's right. And so we see that God's, God's response, you know, is really 
packed with, you know, a foretelling, a prophecy of what is to happen with these two children that are in her womb, of Esau and Jacob. You know, that there's two peoples, two nations, you know, that will be born from you, from these two boys that are, are coming. And it's very similar to what we see throughout all these promises of children being born. In Judges, we see the prophecy of uh, Samson being born. We see uh, the prophecy that's given to uh, Jeremiah uh, about his own birth, that God chose him while he was in his mother's womb to speak for the Lord. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, having the task that God tells him, it's impossible. You will speak to the people, but they will not listen. But you will fulfill your call as a prophet. And then, of course, going back to Elizabeth bearing John the Baptist, and then Mary having the miraculous birth of God the Son. Each one carries, and I encourage you uh, this next week on page 13 to track down on question two. There's these different scriptural verses. Go through those if you haven't done so already and see the common link of God will foretell for certain children as part of his covenant plan what these children will do, what he has planned out for them. And that should tell us two things, that God is a God of plans, of providence. God sees and knows where you are. Even when it feels like that he doesn't, and we cry out, Lord, do you see? Lord, give us justice. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how long? And it may not be in our timing, and it certainly may not be our way of doing things, but God is working out a plan to save his people and to redeem them for the new creation, to eradicate the evil and injustice, the horrors and the sin in this world, but to do it in such a way that he has saved the people that he's working and drawing near to himself. There's another. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't remember where it is, but something that always strikes me because, quite candidly, yeah. God knew what they were going to do mm-hmm. well in advance. Exactly. What, what the time frame was. Mm-hmm. But I knew you from before mm-hmm. your mother's womb. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that spe- that yeah. speaks to. Um, I knew you in the womb mm-hmm. speaks to me about abortion mm-hmm. because God knows that child yeah. the moment it's conceived mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not only human but it's he, God speaks to the mm-hmm. baby in the womb it should really speak to us you know like for those who are who are living and struggling you know whether or not you're clinically depressed like officially labeled like you're fighting and battling depression or any mental illness whatsoever <laughs> any person period you know, like who is struggling and is in a pit in life as we all go through at some point oh we're yes we to, do that is a word of comfort to speak god knows who you are he knew you before you were even born and that he god knew loves you, you in the womb he's a god of love <laughs> and so we as part of the body of christ you know, should be inspired should take comfort and refuge in that and also frankly when we encounter those whom we worry about you know worry about their 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 health you know worry about where they're at that's a word of encouragement to speak to someone even when it looks like everything else is going to the pits he's still a god who rescues i've seen it in my own life i can attest to that of being in a dark place and wondering like where do we go from here you know like i don't know how to get out of here and then finally realizing got to lean on God. I've got to trust on Him. I've got to pray to Him and just constantly <laughs> petition. 
And those prayers may be prayers for years. We see that with St. Monica praying for Augustine. Augustine, who goes off and lives a life of worldly pleasure, when he finally, quote, gets religion, goes into a heretic uh, cult, uh, Manchism, and Monica mourns that that's where he's gone into. And then finally God converts Augustine, not by, you know, any other man's will, but by God's own will, takes him and breaks his heart through something that seems completely inconsequential, is where Augustine is in his deepest amount of despair, and he hears this child singing a childhood song of take up and read, take up and read. And then he takes the copy of the scriptures that he has, opens it up, and reads, and is converted. And that's an act of God. It's an act of God of giving this faith. But it's also an act of God of fulfilling prayers that St. Monica had prayed for years for her son. He was in his 30s when he finally converts and becomes a Christian. And you can't, you know, convince me otherwise. She probably didn't pray, you know, for all of those 30 years. Probably for at least, especially those, those 20 of those years when he started going off and, and doing whatever he wanted to do and living a life of worldly pleasure. And so it, it gives us, or should give us, hope that although God's ways are not our ways, that God is a merciful and a loving God. And he chooses people not because Abraham showed himself to be the swell guy, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, Abraham has many other marks, you know, in his life, you know. That Isaac as well. And then Jacob, as we walk through and see him, there's gonna be a lot of eyebrow raising of like, wow, this is this is the guy for whom God selects and, and names him Israel. And then the people of Israel, you know, like are descended from him. Like, couldn't you have picked a better guy? But then we start to realize our nature is just like each one of these Old Testament saints. Especially yes. Jacob. Mm-hmm. Because in Scripture, mm-hmm. after he's been in Israel, he's yep. also called Jacob. Yep. When he operated in his own will. Mm-hmm. But when he operated in the Lord's will, he was called Israel. Israel. And we are so much like that. Yes, we are. Mm-hmm. But once again, we go back to that fighting the old Adam, you know, and trying to live and rest and trust in the new Adam. And so we're going to see that as we, we continue on going into to chapter 3. But there's good relief, you know, uh, in my opinion, in terms of, of, of what we hear on how God uses his saints. And that is that although the world works against God's plans... They do not overcome. Although we work sometimes against God's plans and not resting in him and falling into his promises, it doesn't derail God's plans for us. And for so many people, you know, they think that, like, you know, if I've done something wrong, I've fallen off the way, I just can't go back. And there was a time when, when I just didn't understand that. Like, how do you ever think that you could do something so bad to get off of God's path? You know, God's a lot bigger than us. But when you get weighed down and you keep stumbling and falling and falling and falling and you get deeper into a pit, it's kind of hard to think that there's any light up there. Exactly. And so it's very much something that a lot of people go through. I hear more and more through people I talk to, like, oh, I mean, like I'm just not good enough for that. And the good news is that none of us are. That's why we needed a Savior in the first place. And that God still uses us broken people to bring about and accomplish and there, His will. And therein lies the question mm-hmm. of, why did God create this world 
with all these sinful people. Mm -hmm. And you wonder, you know, why did he do that? Because I guess because he had to teach us to love him no matter what, sin or not, and to uh, follow him. And then you don't sin so much. Well, we, we see the good thing is that God creates the world good, you know, just, you know, without sin. And then and even what happened? We bring it. We we fall. We rebel. You know. Well, we, he 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 created us, mm -hmm. and and we are sinful people. Mm -hmm. I don't get the part. Why did you create sinful people? Why didn't you just create what's going to be after when heaven comes? Yeah, You're but that's what I'm saying. Ask Adam and Eve that question. Yeah. I know yeah. it's because not. It's not answered. Yeah. No. Well. Remember, it is answer. He creates us good. Like he doesn't create sinful people. He creates people who are able to do good or able to do sin. And then when Adam and Eve rebel, that's, that's what changes. Yeah, and you know? they mm -hmm. rebel by they rebel. eating mm -hmm. the fruit, mm -hmm. the fruit <laughs> of good and evil. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And therefore, coming and into your, the knowledge. Your question, so. your your comment about him creating that way. He creates the world of possibility. He doesn't create robots that are, by default, always good or sinful. <laughs> yeah, he gave us free so, will. I got that. And when heaven comes, we're all going to be good again. I get that, too. But I don't know. Some of us are going down to the, the dark side, and some of us are staying in the light. So I get that. I do get that. And we're all going to be, all of us are going to be judged. And mm -hmm. I'm scared about that because mm -hmm. I haven't been good all the time, you know. But that's what it goes to, like, that's the gospel. The gospel is that none of us have ever been good enough. Mm -hmm. That Christ Jesus has died for every single one of our sins completely, eradicated it on the cross. All we can do is rest in faith and trust him, thank him for what he's done, and Absolutely. pray for us poor sinners to, like, please keep giving me that double portion of your spirit because you know I need it. You know, sanctify me, Lord, because I can't do it myself. But I trust in you. And so we're going to see what does it look like, you know, in one other sinner's life of, of Jacob who limps with God, you know. And what does, you know, this version of discipleship show us as disciples in the new covenant? Because the life of Jacob has a lot to tell us, even as living in the new covenant and struggling to be Christians in this day and age, in which we're still looking forward to. How long, how long, O oh Lord, until you make all things new, until you completely give me that new heart, or completely eradicate the old Adam so that I can live in the new covenants and Boy, just desire you. I have faith in that. Well, this was good, and let's go ahead and close out in prayer and then prepare our hearts for worship. Heavenly Father, you have blessed us generously by pouring out your word, <coughs> giving us your scriptures. Letting us know who you are, Lord, and how you've interacted with people throughout the centuries. We bless you and thank you that we, we even have it so easy as to have a printed copy of your word. <coughs> Open up our hearts and our minds and dive into this word, Lord. To constantly seek and search the scriptures so that we may find you. And that we find you chiefly and solely and completely to the image of of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Bill Carroll.
Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you'd visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one. The Lord be with you, and with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right so to do.